Hey there, intrepid fundraisers. Welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 112. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and wants ideas and maybe a dose of encouragement to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. Now, if you've ever felt inspired by a good idea or fundraising approach or tactic, and you can tell that if you did this thing more often, it would help your fundraising results. But then life and the ongoing email avalanche got the better of your good intentions and nothing has changed. Then I hope you're going to find this episode a really helpful listen. Because I'm excited to share an interview with a very smart, proactive fundraiser named Grace Cannings, who is a major gifts fundraising officer for the UK charity Cure Parkinson's. A couple of weeks ago, Grace shared with me a tactic that she and her team have been doing in the last few months to help them to be more intentional about applying certain principles in their fundraising. I found this idea really compelling and I hope you find it helpful too. Hello Grace, how are you? I'm good Rob, how are you? Very well, thank you. At the end of a long week and thank you ever so much for making time for this interview about this interesting tactic you've been doing in your fundraising. Just before we get into the content, what's the name of the charity where you work? What's your role? So I'm Grace Cannings. I work for Cure Parkinson's and I am a major gifts fundraising officer. And I've been there for about three years now, which has gone by very quickly. Yes. Okay. And I remember about six or seven months ago, you joined our major gifts mastery program and Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed getting to know you through that and hear about some really interesting things you've been doing for the last half year and then just recently last week you sent me a really interesting little image a photo of one of the tactics that you've done since starting the major gifts mastery program and I thought it was so smart that I wanted to find out a little bit more about what you've done and how it's helped you and your colleagues so do you want to just tell us the gist of what that tactic was and then we can explore some detail after that. Yeah, sure. Um, so firstly, the course was fantastic. And I came away feeling so enthused and I don't know, had loads of great ideas about what we could do, kind of swirling around in my head. And I just thought, I'm going to forget all of this. It's I'm just not going to be able to enact everything that I want to do and there were a couple of key really easy actionable things that you spoke about and you talked about and I just thought I need these written somewhere where I can see them so I can kind of keep them in the forefront of everything that I do and I kind of spoke to my manager about this and we both got really excited because we've been having loads of catch-ups after the training session about these really brilliant ideas. So basically we came up with the Cure Parkinson's philanthropy philosophies and it's very easy, just a quick five minutes with a whiteboard and we've just written down, I think it's maybe 10 things that we want to try and do every day to kind of keep ourselves working in the best way that we can. And they're all really simple, actionable things that don't really cost any money. It's just changing and shifting our mindset. So we're all singing from the same hymn sheets. Yeah. And so we all kind of got around together around the whiteboard and wrote down the things that were important to us as a team. So that's brilliant, Grace. I just I'm looking at it now and I love this as an approach to make these ideas, these principles, these philosophies, as you call them, more alive, more 
conscious and so on, so that our listeners could get a sense of it. Could you give us a flavour of some of those things? Yeah, sure. So we've got things like call your donors. It might make their day or yours. We've got things like give your donors an opportunity to solve a problem. Stories, stories, stories. Thank for anniversaries. Our data officer will be very happy about this one, but if it's not on Donify, it didn't happen. And the other one is sneak peek and inside scoops are giving people behind the scenes knowledge, basically. So I love it. And one reason I love it is it really reminds me of a fascinating chapter in one of my favourite books, which is called The Culture Code. So if you're a leader of a fundraising team or you're just interested in the power of culture to affect fundraising results, I really would recommend the book called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And broadly, the thesis of the book is he was fascinated by why some cultures are so effective and strong and likely to bring out the best out of people and other cultures are weaker. And even if you've got good people in the team, the culture can have an effect on productivity and morale and stress levels and so on. And I love the premise of the book because basically he looked at highly successful, I mean, outrageously successful team cultures in lots of arenas. And kind of inevitably, a couple of those are really elite military units like the Marines and so on. Mm -hmm. But equally, a couple of sports teams that have massively outperform other teams with the same levels of finance available to them. He even went and researched a particular group of jewel thieves who were more (laughs) successful than it seems than any other group at doing jewellery heists. The ethics of all this notwithstanding, he was just fascinated by (laughs) what is it that makes any group of people, be it a family, a team, an organisation, what are the ingredients that cause a team to be more likely to do more of the right things on any given day and for everyone to buy into that Mm -hmm. and to do those things, whether or not the leader is there. And it makes for a really interesting read. And there's a range of tactics that he talks about, but the tactic that springs to mind in terms of this conversation is he talks about this very, very successful restaurateur called Danny Meyer. I think he's more famous in the US than the UK, but one of his projects is Shake Shack. But he also has a number of high-end restaurants, and I might have the details wrong, but as I understand it, he owns more Michelin-starred restaurants than pretty much anyone else in the US. And so Daniel Coyle is fascinated as to how did he pull this off? Because you've got to be more than just a good chef to do that. And the interesting story in the interview is that when Danny Meyer went from running one very successful restaurant in New York to then opening a second one on the other side of town and was spending so much of his time in the new restaurant and not in the first one, and this particular occasion when he he heard from his head waiter about something that had happened. And I think the, the gist of it was a diner had ordered the fish, changed her mind. There's nothing wrong with the fish, but she changed her mind and asked for the, you know, the pasta or whatever. And then at the end of the meal, the waiter charged her for both meals because there was nothing wrong with the first meal. And Danny Meyer was furious because <laughs> this is, it doesn't matter if... There's nothing wrong with the fish. This is just not what you get in my restaurants. We always go the extra mile to help you have a have a good time, whether it was, you know, whether or not it was our fault. Anyway, in that moment, he realised it wasn't the waiter's fault that the waiter didn't think the way Danny Meyer does. And he realised 
it's not enough for me to be a good chef or good at creating a beautiful decor in a restaurant. My real job, if I really want to help lots of people enjoy lovely meals, is I have to work out ways for, even if I'm not in a restaurant, for people to know what to do and to know why to do it to a certain standard. And so he started putting way more effort into how you help people understand certain key principles of what it is to work in one of his restaurants and what we mean by great service. And part of how he does that is with what he would call these principles or key mantras, which interestingly don't mean much to anyone who doesn't work there. They could just sound like a bunch of banal, cheesy quotes you'd see on an annoying thing on the internet. There's a starting the list, read the guest, athletic hospitality, writing a great final chapter, turning up the home dial because a key part of his culture is we want people to feel like it's great food but it, they feel mm -hmm. as comfortable as if they were at home put us out of business with your generosity and in that last story had he ever really helped the head waiter understand that last principle then it would be an easy decision for the waiter to know whether or not to charge for the fish just if in doubt be unbelievably outrageously generous that is the right thing to do so i really thought of this great restaurateur and this book, when I saw your list, Grace, because it seems to me that, you know, lots of fundraisers might hear some of your principles and say, yeah, Grace, I know that one. Yeah, we do our best to do that too. And yet to me, the devil is in the detail. The power to me is, in the, in, is, is not that they have to be beautifully written, but the fact that you and your colleagues thought about them, <laughs> talked about them, and wrote them down. And if you both felt strongly about them, they got on the list. The act of doing this consciously, it's my sense that because you did that, you've been more likely to make certain decisions and do things certain ways and live up to a high standards in terms of certain fundraising principles than if you hadn't written the list. And I love this as a tactic. And maybe after listening to this, some of our listeners you know, might go away and work out what they're key principles are they don't have to be mine and they don't have to be yours but getting conscious and clear about them and more explicit about them could just make the difference to doing things in a certain way so I, I don't know what you think about that before we get into the detail that as a hypothesis for why this can be so powerful yeah I think the the key word there is conscious you're making a conscious decision to do something based on the fact that it's written well we've consciously decided what they're going to be but then we're consciously deciding to do them because we've got that reminder and it's been so helpful because I don't know you you come on a, a training course and you you get so excited and you think yeah I'm going to be able to do that but when you've got 20 emails in your inbox from I don't know the finance team you get so bogged down in the admin sometimes of your job that sometimes you forget that it's the donor that's important or you forget that it's everything you should be trying to build those relationships. And, and these things are things that you can do to help build those relationships. And because they're there and they're conscious and they're present in the office where everybody can see them in very bad handwriting, I will say, but it just means that it's there and you're more likely to do it. And I think one of the things that you spoke quite a lot about was about continuity and about the level of stewardship that you give having that continuity and being able to give a certain level and having those touch points with donors and you're more likely to do those sorts of things and give that same level of stewardship if well, I find I am anyway if I've got those reminders there yeah absolutely that makes sense and 
maybe to bring it to life a little, do you want to sort of give us a, a couple of examples of how in the last few months you have found yourself doing more of any of these principles? Yeah, I'd say a key one has been calling our donors. And that's one of the things I said was it might make their day or it might make yours. And I'd say as a team, it's definitely made us, it's improved morale, kind of talking to donors. And it's meant that we've kind of, we've grown closer to them. Sometimes if you're working particularly in major gifts, you can spend a lot of time researching into people, particularly if you're a small team. I'm a one, at the moment, a one person major gifts team. So you can spend a lot of time doing research into people. And it means that sometimes they can become just a person on your database rather than being a person who might want to help solve a problem. And by calling them, it's meant that even if we've had a relationship with them in the past, or we have a relationship with them, by calling them, it just adds another level. And it means we have better conversations with people. You can have better correspondence with people as well. And it means you can personalise your stewardship to that individual and hopefully enable them to have a better experience with the charity. It feels more like you're calling a friend rather than this unidentified person, as it were. And I would say as has actually helped, actually, particularly if we receive donations, if we've got permissions, just pick up the phone to say, wow, thank you. That's fantastic. Rather than, I mean, I don't know how many people look at email sometimes. And it's just people, it's unexpected to people that they'll receive a phone call for doing something which is actually quite fantastic with what they've done. And I was thinking about this, about two of the people who, um, there's two people who give to our mid-level regular giving club, as it were. And the two people, there have been two people that have been up for renewal this year. And I've had really great conversations with them over the phone over the last couple of months. And both of them have actually committed to renew for another five years. So that has been really good. That is one of the things that it's not necessarily something that you can measure the impact of immediately. It's something that helps build a better culture and better relationships with people. And it may help kind of raise the level across the board rather than it being a direct result but that's been fabulous I've really I've really enjoyed that one as well because I've got to know so many more more donors so yeah and another another really easy one has been thanking on anniversaries so I was looking through the pipeline and saw somebody who had given um and uh, a year ago and I wrote to them I wrote them a little hand uh, handwritten card to say oh it's been a year since you donated this is what we've been up to love to have a chat with you, love to have a coffee with you. And we just received a grand as a check in the post, which is a really easy, simple thing to do. It's unexpected for them. And I mean, we weren't writing it with any expectation either. It was a genuine thank you, but it just ended up having a positive impact on my bottle line, which is fantastic. Hi, it's Rob. And I wanted to jump in quickly to let you know about our two flagship courses designed to help you grow high value fundraising results. That's the Major Gifts Mastery Programme and the Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme. And instead of me trying to bring it to life, I usually find it's most helpful if you can hear from people who've experienced one of these courses recently. So in a moment, I'm going to share a short clip from Penny Russell of the Trussell Trust, who, along with her colleague Sarah, took part in our Corporate Mastery Programme. Sarah's fundraising has been going really well since finishing the programme, and that includes winning several Charity of the Year partnerships. And here's what her colleague Penny fed back about how the programme helped her. I'm Penny Russell. I work in the Corporate Partnerships team at the Trust of Trust as a new Partnerships Manager. I think the course has been so valuable across a whole 
breadth of tips and pieces of advice and going from how we tour to prospects, but also how we write, how we pitch across the whole new partnerships management. And we've managed to pick up some really amazing partners from lots of those learnings as well, um, including a partnership that we hope will be worth around kind of 1.8 million in the first year. So really amazing impact. The next programmes will start late January 2023. So if you'd like to find out more about either the Corporate Mastery Programme or the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Right now, though, let's hear more from Grace about some major donor fundraising principles that she's found helpful. The other one is sneak peek slash inside scoop. We've got quite a few donors who we've kind of wanted to let them know about a couple of projects before we've gone public with them uh, to give them the opportunity to solve a problem maybe before we go out publicly with it. And that's been really positive as well. And we actually received a 50K donation for an upcoming project from somebody that we bought on board before we went public and said, we think you'll be really interested and excited by this. We want you to talk with this person and our research team about it and about why it's so important. You can ask them all the questions you want. This is why we think you might be interested, but let us know and let us know your questions and everything. It worked because they've got a strong relationship with the charity. They want to be the first to know, particularly as it's like medical research as well. I mean, there's some things that we can't obviously go out public with. And there's some things that we can't go out to, to donors with beforehand and Obviously, you've got to work within the parameters of what you can and can't do. But if there are areas where there is flexibility and that you can go out to certain individuals beforehand, they're part of the, the family of the charity, as it were. They're part of the team, which is really nice. And it's really nice having them because then you can also ask them questions about what the charity should be doing as well. So yeah, there's been a couple of things. They've not been big things. They've not been a whole restructure or anything like that. They've just been really small, actionable things, which I think is important because sometimes it can be so overwhelming when you come away with so many great ideas of things you might want to do that you then don't do any of it. <laughs> I don't know whether or not you ever have that. Yeah, absolutely. In any given day, there's so many things you might feel you need to do, but wherever possible, I do my best to just think, what one thing could I do now, which is consistent with my overall direction of travel, but which would take me just one millimetre closer to that direction of travel being achieved. And uh, it doesn't always work, but that's one of the ways I strive to do it. And I am helped in making those choices by my version of this kind of list Mm -hmm. i've I've got eight to ten key principles which i like to believe increase the chances that more people will get resources or courses or podcasts or whatever they might be that inspire them to want to do more things that raise more money Mm -hmm. i've got my principles which sum up what that looks like and to other people those 10 things would be fairly meaningless and yet they work for me because i know why i chose those and why i've even phrased them that way And that leads me on to something I think that's quite interesting about this is we could be tempted to say, oh, right, I'm going to read the the best book on fundraising or the best book on leadership. And I'm going to tell my team, these are the 10 things we're going to do from now on. And then we could be disappointed if a month later, nothing had changed. People weren't following through. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that a major reason why yours have had an effect is that 
the two or three of you in your team, you talked about them, you chose them together, you explained why this one is more important than that one. Mm -hmm. And it was a willing, conscious thing. And therefore, A, that you chose, you effectively signed up to, mm -hmm. and B, that they're meaningful. You know, when you say stories, 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 that's beyond a cliche. You know precisely why finding and sharing more real examples about the difference our charity makes is such a driver of success in fundraising. Part of the reason you feel that to be true is, is probably because of what we did on day one on my programme, mm -hmm. or maybe you read it in my book. But my point being, just to impose some of these things on a team, they will be experienced as the cliches they appear to be. So if a listener likes these ideas, beware, it's not a quick fix. One needs to have it as a conversation and discuss why doing things in a certain way, certain principles are more likely for our team or our cause or our strategy succeed mm -hmm. and for people to buy into those. So like I say, A, we were part of it and B, it's meaningful beyond the cliché. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Like it was definitely a team effort. Like I came to the the table with the idea of making it, but when it came to actually deciding on what they were going to be, I mean, it only took us like five or 10 minutes to decide what they were going to be. It wasn't this huge laborious meeting where we kind of vetoed and voted on lots of different ones. It was literally like 10 minutes of going, okay, what's important to us? Because sometimes, again, like the process of making something like this can be really overwhelming and you don't want to dive into the office politics of what should be what. But it was just really simple. And we've got a couple of joke ones in there. We all like Encanto, so we've got We Don't Talk About Bruno on there. It's just silly, silly things like that that mean that it's ours. It's not something that somebody's come in and imposed upon us. It's something that we've all decided on and add to. So like as we continue and develop as a team, as we get more people involved, I mean, there may be more that get added on. The more we learn together as a team, like it's not a fixed thing. It's just something that we can use to help align us. But also at the bottom, so we've got like the 10 philosophies, but then at the bottom, we've also got two lists of what do we want our donors to feel when they support us and how do we want to be as a team to achieve that? And like we've kind of put in some words kind of like hopeful and collaborative and things like that. And again, they are so corny, but they mean something to us. So it's fine. <laughs> again, you kind of don't want it to be. I don't know if there's a, like, like classic work posters that you used to get that have like a picture of a tiger and then they've got motivation underneath <laughs> them. That feels really uncomfortable and stuffy. And for some teams, it, well, some teams it might work, but for me, I find that a bit painful. But even though the words might be similar on the page, it's really different if you've created it and if you've got ownership over it. And I think that's the key difference. And to state the obvious, another advantage you've got compared to what can often happen is in many organisations, once a year we do it in an away day and we work out our strategy and or we pay a consultant to help us with our strategy. And it may be highly brilliant and excellent and so on. Mm -hmm. And yet it remains in a desk drawer or on the J drive. And the problem with that, if often we end up not executing on the strategy, it's because it's not live and present with us day in, day out on a wet Friday afternoon when one could have made a different, lazier choice. I think a strong advantage to this as a tactic 
is it makes it more likely that when you're tired or when things are difficult, you're not sure how to proceed. If it's up on your board or you've each got a picture of this on your phone that occasionally you notice or if we're working from home, you've got a version of it as a screensaver or on a notice board at home. You don't have to be staring at it every day and chanting them like uh, in some cultish thing. But doing it your way increases the chances that your strategic priorities and in particular, the better ways of working, they're more likely to be live in your nervous system, in your short and medium term memory. And therefore, as long as your principles are consistent with your strategy, you are more likely to do the right thing or a better thing, make a better choice on any given day of the week. And so, Grace, if someone's listening to this and they already have some kind of common sense principles and philosophies about how they do their fundraising, but they are now toying with the idea of making that more explicit for themselves or for a couple of teammates. Mm -hmm. Do you have any last tips to help them with that? Yeah. So I'd say number one is don't overthink it. It doesn't have to be an away day. It doesn't have to be a big long team meeting. Just get something on paper or get something on a whiteboard. And in fact, the beauty of a whiteboard is if you want to change a word, you can just swap it out and it doesn't matter. You can change this and it can evolve. It doesn't have to be fancy. I think the main thing is just just try it. It doesn't have to be 10. It could be three. It could be anything. It could be any number. And just, just do it and find out and see if it works for you. And if it doesn't, at least you've tried something. Yeah. And at the very least, you've asked yourself, what is important? What, what do I yeah. believe about yeah. what, what good fundraising looks like? If that can be an ongoing reflective process, I really think it can't do any harm at all to your practice and your ongoing decisions about how you do things. And just after you said that, I remembered when I interviewed the brilliant Emily Casson, who's a, such a, an experienced fundraiser in the digital space, and when she talks in earlier podcast episodes, we did about her four key principles, really short, sharp principles that have been her mantra for fundraising teams she's looked after. I really specifically remember asking her about one of the points. And she said, oh, yeah, I, I just changed that last month. It's always evolving, Rob. You know, if it's not working, if you can make it better, do that. I guess one caveat is don't go on and on to a point where there are 36 principles yeah. then it will all they'll cease to be meaningful they'll turn into gray slush and you'll feel like they're cliches so that's my one caveat so keep it not too many but just ongoingly this is a conscious process of getting clear how i want to do my job so grace thank you ever so much for coming along to share this tactic i really appreciate it i hope it helps some fundraisers out there the book I mentioned for the listener is the, called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And Grace, just sometimes when people listen to these episodes, they follow up and get in touch. Are you on LinkedIn? Yeah, Grace Cannings on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, we'd love you to have chats with people. Great. So thank you ever so much, Grace. Best of luck with your fundraising and I will catch up with you soon. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Well, I hope you found our conversation helpful. I'm really excited about the new podcast episodes that we're working on at the moment. So if you've not already subscribed to the Fundraising Bright Spots show, please do that now so that you don't miss out on any of these new ones we're releasing over the next few weeks. You can also take your pick from dozens of popular episodes in the back catalogue, including episode 15, which is the one where the brilliant Emily Casson explains her mantra of four key principles and how to use them to boost results through digital fundraising. 
You can find a full transcript and a short summary of today's episode in the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And if you'd like to find out more about our flagship courses, the Corporate Mastery Programme or the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, that's the one that Grace took part in, we're excited to let you know that because we weren't able to fit everyone onto our last programme, we've decided to bring forward the date of the next ones to start in late January 2023. To find out more, go to our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. And if you enjoyed today's episode, then please do take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media so that we can help as many charities as we possibly can. Thank you for your help in spreading the word. If you'd like to get in touch, Grace and I are both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, I'm at Woods underscore Rob. Thank you so much for listening today. Good luck with being intentional in your fundraising and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot examples with you very soon. Bye.